Now, um, did anybody have questions from from last week, last Tuesday? Like you left home and you're like, man, I forgot to ask this or I should have asked that or any questions about what we talked about or it was just like, I'm good. <laughs> Anyone? We're good? Okay. So um, I think Pastor Williams just landed, what, a few minutes ago. Yeah, he's good. That was a blessing. He enjoyed himself and uh, he needed that. Sometimes leaders need that type of time away from themselves. Yes, ma'am. All right, so uh, I think Pastor Williams told me to give you guys the scriptures. You guys still got them, right, up there? Okay. So we're going to go through step by step. I'm going to try not to rush it and just go step by step. If I'm going too fast, please let me know. If you need clarity, uh, concision, just let me know. No question not asked is not stupid. And there's no level of the questioner when you ask a question that there's no validity to it when there is. When I was younger, I always felt like I I couldn't ask questions because I didn't want to feel stupid in front of everybody. And I was a new Christian and nobody really opened that door to be like, hey, you know, just ask a question, even if it don't make sense. Every question is important when it comes to the spiritual realm, right? But I always lived in church with a whole bunch of questions on me. Man, I should have asked this. I should have asked that. I'm not clear about this. But some people that I knew, they just don't care. I'm not, I don't care about no Bible or nothing like that. I just come to church and that's it, right? So I know we're not, we're not like that here, right? True worship. So we bless God. Thank you, Father, for keeping his father safe and son as well. Bless the Williams in Jesus' name and all those who are here. So the topic for tonight, the Bible study, is the mystery of the triune man. Can they hear me pretty good? You guys can hear me, right? The mystery of the triune man. The the triune, the trinity of man. T-R-I-U-N-E. T-R-I-U-N-E. The mystery of the triune man. So I was able to prepare a little bit for tonight. Screen, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. And it says, A God himself, now I'm reading out of, I believe it's the New King. I think you have the King James, and that's fine. Um, yeah, that's King James. I see holy up there. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless or preserved until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right there is showing us that we are three, but yet we're one person. We're body, soul, and spirit, right? Spirit, soul, and body. But it's funny how the order of the Holy Spirit, he puts spirit, soul, body. He started from the real you, then the second part of the real you, and then the encasing, which is the body, the flesh, right? And Job 32, verse 8. That's the next verse. Job 32, verse 8. But there is a spirit, where? In man. And the, the, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding, or, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. The word inspiration means to be breathed upon or inspired, breathed upon, right? 
the NUMA, P-N-E-U-A-U-M-A, I believe. And for those online, welcome if you're watching online, if we're live online. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and Job 32.8 go hand in hand. There's a lot more scriptures that we can come up. But the reason why this is important in this day and age, now this wasn't a question when I was young. Today, not, we're not spirits. We don't have no soul. We don't have free will. That doesn't exist. When I was growing up as a kid, we knew we're spirit, soul, and body. Now today, nobody has free will. Yo, you really don't have a soul inside of you. You're not really a spirit. You're just a body. Others will say you're just a soul and a body. Others say, well, we, we don't really have a spirit. We're just soul and we're body, and that's it. That's all we are. And that's a problem because if you believe you have no spirit, just soul and body, that can stop you from being born again. That can contradict Christ. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, that's where we get the word Nick at night, that program, because he spoke to Nick at night. That's where they get that from, Nick at night, Nicodemus, right? So Jesus spoke to him in the late mornings of the hour, which was the third watch, and he spoke to Nicodemus, who was one of the most powerful teachers at, in that time for the Sanhedrin, and they haven't been a Sanhedrin for 1,500 years, and they want to build another one now. But Nicodemus was one of the rep representatives, and he said that how can a man be born again after he's already old? Because that teaching was new. Nobody really knew what that meant. I'm like, what, what do you mean by being born again? What does that mean? What does that look like? How, how does that sound? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me because you're talking about being born again, and I'm an old dude. I'm like, I'm just, how does that work? When I debate Muslims, Muslims, they have no concept. What do you mean by born again? That's, they tell me that's stupid. That's dumb. That makes no sense. You guys are demon possessed. They tell me that. But I'm like, well, you, you're saying that about Christ because he's the one who said that in John 3, verse 3. No one can see. Forget about entering the kingdom of God. He said you just can't even see it unless a man be born again. Now, I believe that we're all born again. We know what that means from this side. But from the other side, I didn't know when, was pe when people were telling me about Jesus and Holy Ghost and all that. I didn't know anything about that. I, I, didn't ha I had no desire to read the Bible. I, had no I just wanted to be with girls. That's it. My world was female. You know? And then I slob. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And that's all I thought about. I'm like, my goodness. My wife's like, ooh, Lord. I saved your soul. <laughs> January 26 years, I'm like, you did, because I was a wild clown. You know, I thought I was sexy. I, I mean, I, my, mind was, my mind was jacked up. I, I tell that Pastor Williams, I'm like, man, we were sexy when we were young. He's like, yeah, bro, you know how he is. He's loud. He's like, yeah, man, you know what I'm saying, man? You know what I mean, man? So that was, that was back in the day. I'm like, God said, when, let me say this. Let me say this. If somebody, when people say, let's do a testimony, I don't get up and give a testimony because my testimony is too long. I have a long testimony. Now, I'm a national author. I wrote a book called The Counterfeit Christian. It went to Belize, Europe. It went all over the United States. I was on TBN, TCT, Charisma Magazine. I'm like, oh, a lot of doors open. And you'd be surprised when people say they're Christian and you're supposed to be a Christian. There's some girls that, that would actually approach you knowing they see the ring. I got a black ring 
you know, in front onyx like here so you can see it nice and clear, right? They don't care about that. They see you and the anointing and they're like, ooh. And they see her and be like, man, she could just Christians, right? But I but I open that door uh, in the sense of not to the females, but I open the door to the sense of um, that I've been raped. I've been molested uh, when I was six years old, seven years old, 12 years old, 15 years old. And I've been homeless. I've been divorced. I've been beaten and downtrodden. I've been ostracized. People abuse me. But it's open book. It's open, my, my, my life is public. I'm a public figure. So when I travel the country, people know me wherever I go. Or I know other famous people. Or people will call me, hey, can you endorse my book? There's famous books out there that I endorse and people still don't know who I am, but they know the name, you see? But these are doors that God opens. I'm like, I look at that, I'm like, look at my life and what God has done. So when it comes to a testimony, it's like, there's so much for me to say. I don't even know where to begin. I would have to write a book. Who has a testimony in the house that you can write a book on what, your, what God has saved your life from? You're like, man, I've been through that. Now, men are not quick when it comes to spirit, soul, and body, because you could be spiritually raped, soulful raped, and body raped, right? But it's more than just sexual, it's spiritual. That's why it's worse to be spiritually raped, right? To, to be worse to be physically raped, but there's a spirit behind it, and then trauma spirits come and attack you and mess with your mind and open doors for homosexuality. It opens doors for you to be promiscuous, to dress a certain way because now your identity has been stricken and, and you try to find your identity in, in, in alcohol or, or smoking or weed or men or women or, or, or things, money, stuff, something. You can get your mind off of it. Some people, they like to smoke weed. They be hitting it up. Why? Because it, it, it gives you that temporary sober. And I never, and I think last week I talked about I never drank, never smoked, never did nothing. I went through everything sober. I told my boys, I'm like, well, you know, Apostle Lopez, I, I, I think, um, uh, you know, you're not doing any of that stuff. Didn't that do anything to you or help you? I'm like, listen, man, even though I didn't do any of that, it doesn't make me better than anybody else. But what it does make me is I can remember all the hell that I went through in my life, and I won't forget it. At least you had drugs to help you cope at least for that day or a few days, and then you don't remember. Or you were drinking into a coma and you don't remember. Or you did something else that helped you not remember. But I went through everything sober. I remember everything that I have gone through. You follow? So when it comes to that, some people take stimulants to try to, I, I just got, you, you have some? I'm good. Okay, temporary fix. They'll drink, temporary fix. But at least it helped them cope for those days. I said, I wish I had that type of habit, if you will, right, if you will, because then I wouldn't have to deal with it sober. I remember the suffering details, spiritually, soulishly, and fleshly. I had nothing to try to ease my mind and put me at peace with drinking or some type of stimulant to deal with life. I took life head on like this. So I, I wanted to attempt three times uh, suicide. I wanted to um, 
my plan was to jump off the bridge over here. Now I'm from Brooklyn, so there were times I wanted to kill myself in New York, and then I came here and I wanted to jump off the bridge on Maple Maplewood Maple Park, Maplewood. Jump off the bridge. I'm like, man. I look down. I'm like, oh man. I don't wanna. I said, how about if I just read it halfway? You know, or um, Lake Avenue was fast, so 18 wheelers would drive by. I said, how about if I just close my eyes and just step right in front of it at the very last moment and just be done? But then I was thinking, but how about if I stay alive and I'm all <laughs> jacked up? I'm like, man, all the sexiness will go away. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I couldn't do that with those online. I couldn't do that. So I'm like, man. And then the third time was in New York. And maybe if I put something on my neck and throw myself down into the Hudson River, maybe, you know, I'll be good. So I've been through all that. But when you, leave, you see my life, I was homeless for seven months. I wouldn't eat food off the garbage. I was 18 years old. My mom abandoned me, you see. So I'm like, there's a lot of stuff that I have gone through. So I paid for the anointing. I paid for what I know. Right? I paid the price to know this in my mind, and I, pr I paid the price to know things in my heart. Yeah. Did they need the mic? Is there? Uh, we're, we're online, right? Live? Yeah, they want to hear you. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> They're going to get you a microphone. Microphone. A any any questions or for me or? Yes. So okay. So m my question to you is um, for someone listening at the things that you've encountered and you've dealt with um, and from someone that dealt with depression mm -hmm. and trying to help someone that's dealing with it, and they're not using um, stimulants or none of that. Like you, how you said, you weren't using those type of things. You, de you dealt with it head on. Mm -hmm. For someone like that, how do you, I don't want to say help them, but how do you, maybe, no, I will say help because you can't say support. How do you help them? I mean, because you can give them scripture. You, c you can give them scripture. All day, you can invite them to church. Um, but what I'm noticing in this day and time that suicide and mental illness is not just outside the church. Mm -hmm. It's inside the church. So how do you help someone that is professing salvation? You're giving them scripture, you're talking, and you're trying to be that support to them. How do you help them? But they're not thinking about stimulant. They, they're not thinking about going to get a drug or going to get alcohol or nothing like that. They just don't know how to cope, how to deal. How do you help them so that mm, it gets a little bit easier for them, I'll say? How do, you, how do you help them or how do you be a support system to them? Because like I said, I dealt with it. And I dealt with it really, 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 really bad yeah. to where if the people would not have bogarted their way in my life to help me, I said today I believe I would probably be in mental hospital and somebody else would have been raising my children. However, I refused because I said, you know what, no, no, I don't want, don't help me, don't help me. But then I said, no, help me. They kept being forceful saying, no, 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 no. 
But how do you help someone when you try to do that to them, but they don't want that? They push you away. So how do you help someone as like with the things that you dealt with? How would you help them with that? But they're saying they're safe. They're professing salvation. Mm -hmm. So how would you help someone like that? That's a good question. When I, I had both, I was the one on the outside and I was the one on the inside because I, I was depressed. And when I was depressed, I wouldn't eat. And other depression caused me to overeat. Right? That's where I, that's where I got this, right? I was overeating. And depression is... I know people talk about demon possession for Christians, right? But we could be repressed, depressed, suppressed, and oppressed, but not demon possessed. So we got all the S's, but we could be four out of five. Now, you could be a born-again Christian and be demonized in your soul. Demons can possess your body in the form of sickness, disease, and pain, whether it's in the organs or outside the body or both. When it comes to depression, that's a real big one because people commit suicide for real. They kill themselves. Now, if they slice themselves this way, you're playing around. If you slice yourself this way, you for real, right? Now, when I was depressed, I had nobody. Nobody. I've been saved since I was 15. 14 years, I went through a lot of hell in my life. For 14 years, until I was 29 years old. So 15 to 29, for those 14 years, I went through hell. From 29 to 50 now, <laughs> I've been through some stuff. But see, the difference was I had, I've been in the wilderness and I've been in the desert. They're both different. How do you handle that? People who don't want any help, there's really much, you, your power is limited because they have a free will. They have to let you in. But you can't be forceful because then you can push them away. So you have to pray and let Holy Spirit get involved. Because what's flesh is flesh. And that is spirit is spirit. So spirit has to take over. And that's why we would pray. Because there were people who were depressed and were looking for help. And they were looking for help and not looking for help. You follow? That was a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. So I had to pray for them. And then finally... Because I say it this way, when the student is ready, the teacher will arise. But when it comes to us, when we deal with it, we have a soul, we have a spirit, and I had my soul fight my spirit. I had my spirit fight my soul in this body. I'll hear the spirit, the Lord, tell me certain things, but my soul wants to say and do other things. Who's stronger? The one you feed the most. So if you pray more and read more, your spirit man will become a, a lot stronger and more, more of an influence than the soul. Because your spirit man is strong. It, it could rise up. But when you have your soul doing all the speaking and the talking, remember when we're born, we're born with body and soul. And the spirit is dead. Dead in scripture never means the cessation of life. It means separation. That's why when I died in 2002 for 25 minutes, and I talk about that in my book, when I came out and I saw the spiritual realm, I seen Jesus five times in my life. I saw Satan too. I don't want to see no Satan. And he's not playing around. 
the church is playing around. Satan is not playing around. When he spoke to me face to face, he told me, I want to kill you and I want to destroy you. Right? That's what he told me. And I felt the Holy Spirit and this, this fire, it was like fire electricity from the inside exploding in my body. But I could see my body on the sofa. But I'm like, this is the real me. Who is that? That's not the real me. This is the real me. You see? That, that was the war that I was facing. And the, and the Lord showed me this is how serious the war is. It's a spiritual battle versus the soul battle. Because soul is me. Me and more me. Right? And we try to help spiritual with soul. But you can't. Because, the, because remember... The spirit, and I'm going to get into it um, and explain this, because the spirit man doesn't have a will. Only the soul has a will. You follow? So when it comes to depression, addiction, the only thing we can do, if they don't want any help, we can't force them because God's not forcing them. So who are we to force them? We can only pray, give scripture. I don't give up. I'm going to still encourage you, bless you, you know, but I don't want to push you away either. So that's when wisdom comes in. And in Proverbs 4, verse 7, it says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all of your getting, get understanding. Because the Bible says in First Corinthians, uh, in Romans 1, 16, it says, if you are a man or a woman without understanding, you're worthy of death. I don't want to do that, you see. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, a man who wanders away from the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. So that's why when you and I, when we had to deal, we dealt raw, whether we take a stimulant or not. And we, we know what the right thing is to do. Why? Because the spirit contains what's called the conscience, the conscience, while the soul represents the conscious. So that's how, when it came to depression, I, I could be here all night explaining this, because when it comes, comes to depression, those are spirits that will come in to attack but they come at an opportune time. Now, there is a difference between mental illness that is a real physical illness. It's not demon possession. But then there's demon possession that can cause mental illness. But then there are demons that will cause mental illness. So even if the demons removed, you still have that mental illness there. You follow? So there are certain schizophrenia, I believe, is a demonic spirit. However, schizophrenia is a spirit. It's a principality. Murder is a principality. Lying is a principality. Stealing is a principality. Suicide is a principality. That's why there's no such thing as binding the devil. When people say, I bind you, Satan. The Bible says this very clearly in Matthew 18, 18. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you bind, you know, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Notice it says, whatsoever you bind. doesn't say whosoever you bind. Because if we had the power to bind Satan and Jesus didn't even have the power to bind Satan when he was here because he had to keep him roaming. He's going to bind him in the 1,000 year reign. Now he's no longer on the earth causing havoc because Jesus bound him to a jail cell for 1,000 years. So you can't bind Satan. If you could bind Satan, you could bind murder. There'll be no more murder in the world. Why? Because murder is a principality. So we have to stop the spirit of murder from attacking us and causing us to murder. It's a principality. It, you can't kill it. 
You can rebuke it. You can refute it. You can fight it. You can pray against it, that it doesn't attack you or enter into you. Then you have the spirit of murder. Suicide. Depression. Those are principalities. So if the spirit of depression enters into you or attacks you, you go into the depression mode. And that's how I felt. Like, nothing made me happy. No matter what people did, my mother, my family, it just didn't make me happy. So my spirit and my soul was being attacked. But it was it was an attack, man. It's hard to explain. But how do you, how do you, how do you um, when you're dealing with someone that you can see that because you've dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, when you've dealt with something, I don't know about anybody, you can see it. And so how do you do it to where it you don't become forceful, to where it's like uh, where you're trying to, I don't want to say make them, but you're, you're trying to give, you want to give them scriptures to read and, you know, different things, but you don't want to force it on them to make it seem like I, you better or you gotta. How do you do that so it doesn't come over like that? Us as Christians, the Bible says that God comes to us in kindness, right? He goes with gentleness, with kindness, I've drawn you. The only thing that we have in our power, because people have what's called a free will, God has partially limited his power by giving humans a free will. If he forces us to do something, it's no longer free will. Then we're automatons. We're non-sentient beings. We're robots, in other words, right? So we can't force. We want to, but we can't. For example, I have brothers who are not saved. I have a son. He believes the universe made him. He's 26 years old. He's like, no, me and your mama made you. (laughs) You know, and God was the one who put his hand in it. But I'm like, no, the universe don't give a crap what you're doing today. You know, you have problems? Don't come to me. Go ask Saturn and see how he feels about it. (laughs) Go to Neptune and see what he say. Go to the Black Hat Nebula and see if he has anything to say about your life. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Right. You have no answer. Because he, as bad as I want him to be saved, I can't. As bad as I want to bring freedom, I can't. Now, I could bring deliverance. Now you're talking about deliverance. That's a deliverance ministry. We can cast out and come against the spirits. But even in that, there has to be some type of will involved. Now, that's not always the the the... the <laughs> How can I say this? It's, it's the exception, not the rule. For example, people say, well, in order for somebody to be delivered from depression or suicide or anything like that, don't they need my, don't, don't, don't they got to ask for it? Not necessarily so. Why? Jairus came to Jesus. He goes, my son, he throws himself in the fire to get burned. He throws himself in the water so he can drown. Can you bring deliverance? The desperation of the father, Jesus brought deliverance to the boy. But the boy's possessed. He doesn't know he needs deliverance. He's like, oh, can you deliver me, Jesus? He can't because he's controlled by a demonic force. Force is. So Jesus, out of the ask and you shall receive syndrome. Ask. And the word, word there, ask, is keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. A-S-K, ask, seek, knock, right? When we ask, what happens? Jesus came and like, okay, bring me your boy. Satan, leave him. 
boom, done. They thought he was dead. Then they raised him up and he was delivered. Boom, just like that. However, Jesus did that for him because of the desperation cry of the father. The son didn't ask for deliverance. So if the people that we know are dealing with depression and suicide. Now, for those who don't know, before I started a Bible study, I just got a phone call about suicide. Where in the scriptures it says that if I kill myself, God will kill me. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 17. So anybody want to say, oh, if you commit suicide, you're going to go to heaven? Because I've been seeing that all over social media. Oh, the pastor went to heaven right now. Are you sure about that? Unless God's a liar. John 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word there, in the beginning was the word, is the word logos, right? But that's where we get the word logic. God is logical. He's not going to make, he's not going to break what's called the law of contradiction or the law of the excluded middle, which means you cannot have A and non-A to be the same way at the same time. God cannot exist and, and exist at the same time in the same way. I can't be here and be home in the same way at the same time. It breaks the law of non-contradiction. So when people try to use logic, I'm like, that's what's logical. God is logical. He doesn't make a square circle. He can't make a one-ended stick. He, you know, he, you can't have a married bachelor. It's a contradiction. You can't have a, you can't have an honest politician. But anyway, but you, you, you see that throughout scripture that God doesn't, he's all, oh, I thought your God was all powerful. He's all powerful logically. He's not going to contradict himself. You follow? So those, to answer her excellent question, is the fact that if somebody's depressed, they're depressed, they're being depressed, which is anger turned inward. Then they hate themselves. That's what the devil does. He turns it right back on you because you look like God, and I hate that you look like God, and you get to go to heaven, and I can't. I got to bring as many people as I can to hell with me. And time is getting short. That's why things are more darker than before. You follow? It's demonic. Now watch this. I wasn't even able to go into the lesson. But Moses, he was born and raised for a few months under Jochebed. Right? Seti is going to go and put out a decree. Anybody who's two years old or, or, or younger, kill him. And if he's a girl, let her live. But if he's a boy, kill him. Kill him dead. Throw him in the Nile. There's a significance why the God of the Nile wanted babies. Because that's how you empower the Nile spirit, the demonic Okatep. However, when he was born, he was born in the house of the Pharaoh. He had all the reason when he went to the wilderness, he had every reason to go back to Egypt. But the Egyptians... The, 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 the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, they were in bondage, hard bondage. And when they were out in the wilderness with all the stuff that God had done for them, they wanted to go back to Egypt. I'm like, wait a minute, Moses had more of a reason to go back than you. Why you want to go back? I'm like, well, wait, wait. I expect Moses to say, you know what? These 3.2 million people, <laughs> they could all die in the wilderness. I, I'm, I'm out. He had every reason to go back to Egypt. Look where he came from. He had everything. He was rich. He had everything. The, Egypt, the, the, the children of Israel want to go back to Egypt, back to slavery? I'll tell you something. I'll give you a, a quote of what Harriet Tubman said. 
Harriet Tubman said, I would have saved more slaves if they only knew that they were slaves. Woo! She was a woman of God, too. She loved Jesus. Study her life. Because in apologetics, uh, I'm, a, um, I'm an apologist, so in apologetics, you got to study certain quotes, religions, understanding atheism and postmodernism and critical race theory. You, you, know, you got to study all this stuff. You know, the Bible, the scriptures, it brings the Bible alive and how you put things together and it makes total sense and you can bring the intelligence and understanding. So if somebody questions your faith, wait a minute, Jesus was no white dude with blue eyes and blonde hair. Jesus was a first century Palestinian Jew with olive colored skin in the first century. You and me, if we were to stay in Israel, while it's hot and summery out there, we're going to come back dark. Right? We're not going to come back like no, like no white dude. Right? We're going to have complexion. Plus, he had dark brown hair. Right? I saw his hair. He had dark brown hair, like a Jew. When you study first Palestinian, Palestinian Jews, the word Palestinian, Palestine, right, is the word that comes from and derives from Philistines. So the Philistines, remember? Uh, uh, what's his name? Goliath. And his brother Lami, right? They were tall men. Because you have to remember, back in the day, in the time of Noah, Noah was 15 feet tall, 12 feet tall. They can't make an ark that big being 5'9". I'm 5'9". You can't be that tiny. Remember that when they fell, they fell and got shorter and lived a shorter life. They got smaller and lived a shorter life. Because you're, we're shrinking. We used to live a long time. So the reason why Adam and everybody from the first, from the, uh, that was called the antediluvian people at the time, they lived longer because eternity was stripped from Adam and Eve. It was stripped from them. And it took a while for eternity to leave their bodies. That's why they lived so long. But as time goes on, eternity is slowly leaving even more. Leaving even more. The aura of God's power leaving even more. So now we get smaller, get older quicker, and live a shorter lifespan. It's getting worse for everybody. You get more sick quicker, you're getting old faster, you're getting smaller th than before. How do we know that Noah and his family was that tall? Because, in, um, in I think it's the 1950s, 1960s, um, they saw that Noah, uh, these eight people at the bottom of Mount Ararat in Turkey, which was called Asia Minor at that time, they found these eight people buried right next to Mount Ararat. And when they measured the bodies, they're like, these skeleton bones fossilized were 15.2 feet. He had a beard, old beard. That must be Noah, because this was a woman. Crazy thing is this, our DNA, deoxyribonucleic um, acid, DNA, is CGAT, cysteine, guanine, and andronine, and I think thiamine, CGAT. We have 3.2 billion letters of our DNA. Only God can write that. That's the color of our eyes, how tall we are, how big we are. It, ex it expresses everything of who we are. It stops at the age of 33, the very age Jesus died and was rose from the dead. He's risen, right? So that's how they're able to measure how this Pharaoh was able to be this old, but yet we can find out how old he was. We can see how old these people were. So we're getting smaller, older, and weaker because eternity was stripped from them. Now, people can say different things about that, which is fine. 
But that's not, that's my presupposition. That's my position according to scripture, how eternity was leaving the bodies of the people. Follow? You had a question? Oh, wait, um, give him the mic. <laughs> so I know I transitioned from depression into this because it's all pertaining to spirit, soul, and body, how God deals with us with our flesh. He deals with our spirit, man. He deals with our soul. He operates in all the realms we operate because there are times we are stronger in the soul, <coughs> excuse me, and we need our spirit, man, to rise up and stand up, but it's always, shh. I don't force. God's a gentle giant. He doesn't force. He leads. He guides. Addiction forces. Satan forces. Friends, who are not your friends, they force. That's why we have to have the attribute of Christ when people are depressed and suicide. We just have to lead them and pray for them and do everything we can in our power without pushing them to the point that they just, I'm turned off. They won't answer your phone no more. They don't want nothing to do with it. They sound like they need help. And then you're like, man, you, you make me think you need help. And then you don't let me help you. What's going on? That's sometimes you have to do this. Uh, that's the unfortunate part. Because that's what they did to me. And that's, I'm like, why did you separate? Because you, you tell me you want help. But when I try to help you, you wouldn't let me. Oh, I wanted help. I was in denial because when I got, you can't see when you're in slavery. You can only see when you're in freedom. Now, I'll give you one more thing. That's why the scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But see, there's a problem with that scripture in this fashion because the original Greek koine says where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. So if I have spirit of God living in me, if I make him Lord, then there's freedom. That's why it's very important, those little words, those conjunctions, those add-ons make a big difference when we say where the spirit of the Lord is, oh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Wait a minute. Where the spirit is the Lord, I have to make him Lord to experience liberty and freedom. I have to make him Lord. Not where he is, there's freedom. Because who he's going to free if there is nobody to be to bring freedom to? Thank you. You follow? So where the spirit is Lord, where we make him the Lord, that's where freedom comes. And plus, there's a big difference between liberty and freedom. They're not the same. Yes? You, you had a question? Somebody had a question? And then you can pass it to my wife up front. No, um, I was just piggybacking piggybacking off of what you were saying about the ark and um and Mount Ararat there's a um a village called the village of the eight and that was um a tribute to um to Noah's ark uh Noah his wife and um his son and his daughter-in-law um back in the 70s they found a sarcophagus that was 18 feet measured to be 18 feet and um I think it's Ron Wyatt he was um on the uh how you say excavation if i'm saying it right mm -hmm. um expedition or something like that mm -hmm. um um they found a, a old uh video from uh the 50s of the art when the uh the military and um so he went and searched on you know did his search and i don't know if people saw uh, 
Indiana Jones. That's where they get the concept Indiana Jones from, mm-hmm. from Ron Wyatt. Mm-hmm. If y'all uh, take the time to look up Ron Wyatt, it's a white guy. He had uh, uh, read the Bible and um, he, had, he had allowed God to show him, you know, um, uh, the Mount Ararat, Noah's Ark, um, um, the wilderness, Mount Sinai, and all that. That's all. I was just piggybacking off what you were saying earlier, but not to take any more of your time. No, you're good. Uh, I want to respond to that. Uh, you're talking about Dr. John Ron Wyatt. He's an archaeologist. Yes, yes. In the 50s and the 60s, he was credited by saying that he found the blood of Jesus. Uh, on the ark. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, on the, uh, the cross of Christ. Right. So he went where the cross was, found blood, took a sample of it, took it to Israel to have it measured and tested. Yes, sir. And they said that it, w- it was tested, but it had a woman's chromosome. Yes and not a man's chromosome because the man they were like where did you get this blood from and he started crying and you know doing all this stuff but then he was discredited a few years later saying that that wasn't really true so when it comes to dr wyatt there's a little controversy propaganda sensationalism can it be possible anything's possible Possible, right but is it probable is it plausible that's what we would have to look at. Yeah, I was I was questioning that too because uh, Jeremiah's gr- Jeremiah's grotto, he mm-hmm. said that uh, where Jesus was hung on the cross and when the uh, when he died, the earth I guess the earth cracked and and the blood trickled after Satyrian had pierced his side, the mm-hmm. blood trickled down mm-hmm. and it landed on the Ark of the Covenant, which is the mercy seat from the way he, he has it depicted in. in cherubim facing east and one facing west with one wing down and the blood sat on the left side of the uh it, you know at the mercy seat that's the, so yeah I, yeah i know i know i know where yeah. that comes from <laughs> i know the hebrew Israelites like to talk about that still that stuff too but um, i was curious about that yeah, yeah. but um as far the the spear of destiny uh adolf hitler who killed 13 million people he had that spear they said and the spear would speak to him it was the same spear that pierced Christ on his side. Oh, wow. And they say he had what's called the spear of destiny, which is a spear that, that pierced him on his side. Yes, and that it would t- talk to him about being the Aryan race to, to rule the world. And they really thought he was the Antichrist in the, in the, th- the late 30s and the early 40s and mid 40s before he was, before he killed himself on Eagle's Nest. However, um, the sarcophagus, to go back to your premise, the sarcophagus uh, had nothing to do with Noah, Noah, which means rest. So Noah and his family was what's called the antediluvian people. This is beyond ancient. So you have the ancient people, which is the time of Christ. They're ancient, though ancient ruins. But if you go further back, you have to pass Moses. Because Moses was 1492, 1499. But you have to go back because the, the guy who was a pharaoh was not Ramses. That's not even scripture. I know we love Ten Commandments, but his name, they believe, was Tutmos II. He was the only pharaoh that had a baby, a child, and the child never succeeded him because the baby died early in the middle of the night. That gives strong evidence that the angel of death passed by and passed over, Pesach, passed over when they saw the blood, right, of the cross. There's a lot I can say about that, 
but it goes, uh, you know, further, further back on that. Yes. Um, I was gonna respond to what Melinda was saying, um, that when it comes to people not being saved and they're speaking about suicide or depression or whatever it may be, we have to take it back to relationship with God. If we have a strong relationship with God, even though that person may not know Christ, we have authority because of our relationship with God. So God will in turn give us the words to say to people so that they're receptive um, when we talk to them so that they don't go and do, you know, commit suicide or whatnot. But at the same time, we have to remember that God has created people that are strictly for that, vessels of destruction. And I forgot where it is in the word, but there is a scripture pertaining to that, that he has created vessels for that Romans purpose. Nine. Romans chapter 9. For destruction. So as Christians, we want to tell people, you know, and talk to people and tell people about Christ and, and you know, try to help them get delivered from whatever it is they're dealing with. But at the same time, we have to remember that not everyone that says they want help or they want to know who Christ is, is really seeking to have a relationship right, with right, Christ right. or they really want to get the help. Because I know a lot of people who have told me, oh, I want to know um, I want to know about Jesus. I want to know this and that. But they don't make the effort to try to know who God is in relationship, mm -hmm. you know, so that God can change things in their life. They want the quick fix. If he doesn't do something right here, right now, then mm -hmm. I, I don't want anything to do with him. And they don't understand that God has to be the one. You have to actually seek relationship and God's not going to do things just quick fast and in a hurry. He doesn't even do that for Christians. You have to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray sometimes for something to come to pass and that's because God wants you to see how obedient you are. Because we read in the word that we have to be obedient. We read in the word that it, you know, we have to have this 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 relationship with God in order to hear him. You can't hear him when your judgment is clouded. You can't hear him when your heart is heavy. You can't hear him when you're going through a bunch of stuff. But if you have a relationship with God, even in the midst of all of that, God speaks. God answers, whether it be through you, speaking to you, through the word. Someone might call you and say, God told me this about you, without you even seeking or without even speaking to them and telling them I need an answer from God. But we have to still take it back to that thing called relationship. We can't just leave it as a quick fix. And the ones who really want to be delivered will <coughs> seek that. When we want money to pay our bills, we go hard for looking at, you know, looking for a job. And we make sure we go to that job every day. Put in the hours, whether it's hard, whether we don't like it, whether we don't want to deal with the people, we still do that to be able to pay our bills. And God is looking for the same effort. If you can do that for man, then you should be willing to do it for me too because I'm God. Amen. Authority is important. And when God gives us an authority because we have the authority because we have a relationship with him, he does stuff. 
He uses us, the vessels, to speak and to do things, but he does the moving. He does the moving on the person. He, you know, he deals with their heart. He molds them and makes them soft so that they'll be able to be receptive to what he wants, mm -hmm. you know, as part of his will. But if we don't bring that to the forefront and let people know you have to have a relationship with God, just like they always say everybody that dies is going to heaven. No, everybody's not in heaven, and everybody's not going, you know. And it's time for us as Christians who have a, a relationship with God to stop being so soft when it comes to the things of God. We're so afraid to offend people that we don't tell the truth of God. And you have to let them know this is what's going to happen if you don't give your life to Christ and stop being afraid to do so. Anybody wanting to add or? Amen. So I want to give you, well, anybody had anything to add? Okay. So I know this scripture is not all in all, but pertaining to suicide. Like God said in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, Matthew, uh, Matthew 19, he explains about marriage, the, the Ten Commandments. Now remember, now before you throw stones, let me finish the premise first. <laughs> We're not under the Ten Commandments unless it's repeated in the New Testament. And nine of the ten is repeated. So the nine still stand. What's the one that didn't come over from the Old Testament? The fourth commandment. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy because Jesus has become our Sabbath now. He's our rest. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Okay. So I want to give you this because... Um, in the scriptures, it says, thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill. Because you, when you go hunting, you don't, you don't murder a deer. You kill a deer. Right? All, all murder is killing. But not all killing is murder. If you kill the cockroach, you ain't murder the roach. If you kill the squirrel you, or a dog by mistake, or, you ain't murder the dog. So you don't go to prison for that. If, you know, because it's an animal, right? God says you shall have dominion over all the earth, over all the animals. That's why we can kill them, we can eat them, because we have dominion. This is our planet. That's why when Satan comes here, start messing with us, we have authority. He came to our earth to cause problems and cause havoc. There is a second heaven. The second heaven is not the stars. I know we hear that. But you can see heaven. You can see the stars. You can see the galaxies. The second heaven is where demonic presence are. That's a realm you don't see. We don't see the demonic realm. That's the second heaven, where demons are, where Satan is. Satan is not in hell. I know people say that, but he's not in hell. Jesus didn't die and go to hell either for us. That's nowhere in the Bible. They taught me that when I was growing up in church. Jesus died, or, you know, went to hell. Uh, I'm like, no. Why are you going to go to hell for? Why are you going to hell for? There's no reason for you. Everybody's condemned. It's done. What did he tell Dismas on the tree? Today you shall be with me in hell. Where he's going? What's his destiny? Paradise. I'm going to paradise. So Hades, not hell. That's a bad theological word. Because in the real Koine Greek, it's really Hades or Hades. Sheol in the Old Testament. The place of the grave, the waiting period. 
because he's going to take everybody from there, and you're going to die the second death. He's going to put everybody from there, put them in the lake of fire. I'm like, oh, man, I'm thinking this is bad. Now it's going to get even worse. Matthew 25, 41. So when you look at the scriptures, you, you'll see Jesus went to Hades on the side of paradise. It wasn't called Abraham's bosom. That's not what it's called. It's called paradise. Lazarus was laying on the bosom of Abraham on his chest. So why are we calling Abraham? It's not called Abraham's bosom. I mean, we, we have these words that we do. You know, angels rejoice when sinners repent. I'm like, 1510 of Luke, don't say that. It says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when the sinner repents. Who's rejoicing in the presence of the angels? The Father, the Son, and the saints. Man, I could debunk a whole bunch of stuff that we was always taught and programmed, but I open up the scriptures and you find out that Paul, going 26 miles away to go kill some Christians in Damascus, that he fell on the ground. And we see him on a horse in a movie. I mean, it doesn't say a horse. It doesn't say a donkey or a colt or a camel. He, he could have been walking on his way and fell. He could have been on a horse or a donkey or a camel. We don't know. The Bible don't say that. But we see that on TV. We see the disciples. Old, old dudes walking around. Jesus was a kid. Jesus was only 33 years old. He's a kid. The man started ministry at 30. I was 30. I was young and stupid. He was a child. He was still a, he was still a kid. 33 years old. The man's young. See me at 33. You're like, wow, you look different from now. You know? But at that time, and the disciples were teenagers. The oldest one was Peter. He was like 18, 19 years old. He was married. The teen, remember, you take bar mitzvah at 14 as a boy to show that you're a manhood. You make your own decisions. Bar mitzvah, the son of the one who's going to become an adult. How do we know? The scriptures tell us how old the disciples were. You want to know? They were teenagers. How do we know? When they went to go do their taxes, they said, Jesus, Jesus, are we not to pay taxes to Caesar? He's like, yeah, we can pay taxes to Caesar. He said, well, I don't see none of your disciples paying any taxes. Oh, okay, well, Peter, go to the water, go to the sea, cast the fish. The first fish you'll find, there'll be a drachma in the mouth. Pay my taxes and your taxes. Wait a minute. Why are you ain't paying the taxes of the disciples? Because you just got cornered by the Pharisees and the centurions were around. Why only both of y'all? Because they both were over the age of 18 years old. And according to Romanology, according to Roman law, you had to be 18 or over to pay taxes. So it shows you there the disciples were still young because the rest of them did not hit 18 yet. Peter did. Peter was 18. Jesus was 33, like between 30 to 33, because he was the same age as John the Baptist. John the Baptist was younger than Jesus by five months. That was his cousin, you see? So these, these, are the, these are the premises and these are the, the thinking that needs to be clarified in the body of Christ to make the scriptures come alive. I'm like, man, this makes so much sense, the way you're putting it into order. Don't take it from me. I have 120,000 hours of study. I studied because I was 15 every day, all day, throughout the day, 10 to 17 hours a day. I would never leave my Bible, study, study, study. I'm like, people, I have my friends go outside and play, doing all these different things, and I'm stuck. I mean, I don't want to be home studying. Why I always got to feel like I got to study? I used to hate it.
but now the price has been paid. I didn't have a childhood. I had a rushed childhood. So that's why it's, it's easy for me at times to talk about certain topics. Now I know why you gave me information. How can I be an apostle of Christ if I don't know nothing? How can I be? If I don't have the answers, boom, as soon as you ask the question. I say, I don't want the person who's desperate when I was desperate and nobody helped me and I had all these questions and I have life hitting me, hitting me, hitting me in all sides. And I have no answers. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? I ain't know what to do. You follow? My father abandoned me. I know how that feels. God's like, uh, Jesus is like, well, my father abandoned me too. I know how that feels. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus did not know what it meant to be separate from his father. Too much sin. All the world on top of him. Father, push back. Don't abandon me. I don't know what that feels like. I, I've always had communion in eternity's past. You see, I know how that feels. So that's why I had to study my socks off so I could know what I'm talking about, what I'm saying to relate to people, to help them, not so much me. You follow? So that's why there's a big difference between when you deal with stuff in the spirit realm, we have to be able to discern. When, and I, I wish I had time to, to teach because I, I was going to talk about the nine gifts of the spirit, but there's 33 gifts of the spirit. There's not nine. The nine is specifically talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, but when you keep on reading, you find the others in there. You see? But there has to be a reason why we do what we do. When is my flesh being involved compared to my soul being involved, compared to my spirit man being involved? And when is my heart, am I demonized, am I possessed, or is just my heart hard? You can have a hardened heart like Pharaoh. But we say that person's heart is hard, he's demon-possessed, or they're demonized. No, they're born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, but their heart is hard. Jesus says, you don't believe in the things that I just done. I just fed the 5,000. I just fed the 4,000. But the reason why you don't believe, you don't have faith, faith, because your heart is hard. And these are disciples. But watch this. The disciples, none, nobody was born again when Jesus was here. But when me and you preach the gospel and they don't get saved, did we fail? No. But why is it the philosophy of the body of Christ is if we fail, we're a false Christian, a false pastor, false apostles, a false prophet. But when a doctor fails, he's still a doctor and we're respected. But we come against each other. Don't touch me. Don't lay your hands on me. I, I know there's a certain time like, man, I don't want you to mess with me or touch me. Don't do anything with me. I understand that. But I also understand that the scripture says this is regarding ministry. Don't put your hands on them suddenly and then throw them out into ministry. They cannot be a novice. This brings clarity. It brings the scriptures alive and makes you fall in love with the word of God again. Like, man, there's so much more than what I thought. Because praise God for pastors. But pastors read what's in there, but there's no revelation. Why? It doesn't mean that the pastor don't have revelation. That's just not his call. But you'll see sometimes the teacher anointing will come on the pastor. And boom, I'm like, man, Pastor Williams taught tonight, boy. That was really good. And you leave here with explanation and understanding because preaching 
is motivation, but teaching is explanation. And I'll say this here. If we were sitting at a table at a banquet, and I had a table here, I'm going to give you the five-fold ministry before I close. Let's say we are at a banquet and we're eating together. And we're having turkey. We're having every, greens. Every, my wife loves greens, right? She, she wants, she want, in her mansion in heaven, she wants like a, green, a greens patch field in the backyard. But let's say we had a banquet. And let's say the turkey, somebody hit it and it fell on the ground. The apostle will come and will put things in order and bring correction. Well, you should have put it this way. That way it would have set right. And the reason why that happens is because when you put it, you didn't really listen to what I said. So we got to put this in order and make sure the napkins are here. They explain the order of things and the correction of things and bring government and put everybody in place. There's a lot more apostles do because I have a fivefold ministry teaching that will be a blessing to you because it blessed me when Holy Spirit was filling me with information. So where is the prophet? Well, I prophesied that that turkey was going to fall and that turkey was there. I knew it was going to fall and I told him, listen, that's going to fall. You, I can see it in the spirit. They give you what's futuristic of when the turkey was going to fall off the banquet table. <laughs> Where's the evangelist? He's gathering everybody to the banquet. We coming. <laughs> Get your $10 ready. Now coming to the thing. Just come on. They gather. They bring people over. I'm like, man, you brought too many people. But we're going to believe it's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's our job to bring the loaves and the fish. Right? So where is the, uh, the pastor? Well, it's okay. Don't worry about the turkey. It's going to be a blessing. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll bless the people. You know, we'll bring another turkey in. That mercy, that heart, compassion of the pastor. And here comes the teacher. Well, the reason why the turkey fell <laughs> is because the calculation of the turkey, when it was turned to the side, it was brought over to the side of the plate instead of on the, the round part of the plate. And you have, and, and what happens is, according to the mathematical calculations of the weight, it kind of tilted to the side, which causes the gravitational pull of the gravity force. I'm like, brother, shush. You're explaining everything because they explain. That's the teacher. And that's where you get, now, and here, that's where you get the five. The apostle, right, who can touch everyone and bring them all together. Right, it's really hard to bring the pointer finger to the pinky unless you bring them together. So the hand of God, apostle, right, could touch all of them, bring them together nice and tight, grip, put them all together. Pointer finger is the prophet always pointing what God is doing. The middle is the longer finger evangelist because it always goes out further to get the people. The ring finger is the pastor because he's married to the church. And guess what? Your left finger is the only side that connects to your heart directly while the left, the right one doesn't. Then the pinky is more narrow, more thin. Why is it narrow and smaller? It's the teacher, because he's the one who teaches you how to go through the narrow path of life. But there's the face of God. The ear is the teacher, because he gets and hears revelation from the spiritual realm of the Holy Ghost. The nose is the evangelist, because he can smell souls that are lost afar. You can smell from far, right? Then you have the mouth. Mouthpiece is the apostle because he's a spokesman, the literal spokesman of the father. What's the difference between the father, between the, the, as the father, the apostle, and the high priest? The apostle brings God, he brings the people 
to God while the high priest brings God to the people. But then you have the teacher, right? So the teacher here, here's Revelation. The prophet, I should say, is the, uh, um, the seer because he can see, right? Then you have the next, which is the pastor, because everybody has to be planted and direct you every which way you go. So everybody starts as a, as a disciple. So you have ear, teacher, eye, which is um, the prophet. He can see from a distance. The nose, the evangelist smelling souls afar. The mouth is the mouthpiece of the apostle, because he's the spokesman of God himself. And then you have the pastor, who holds it all together. And everybody has to go to the house of God with the pastor. So this is the conclusion of the teaching. But even though I went a little bit and expounded a small synopsis of body, soul, and spirit, I could see that there were other things that was, you know, grazing on our hearts for us to talk about tonight. So I didn't really get into the lesson, but I want to give you this for those who, I know it's not the all for all when it comes to suicide, but it says in 1 Corinthians 3.17, if anyone, anyone, destroys God's temple, God, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. To me, that's super clear. You destroy yourself, I'm going to destroy you, because you are the temple. Didn't I say that you bought at a price? Your life is not your own. It's mine. Who told you to kill yourself? Because when you killed yourself, you have souls that you took with you. I was going to use you to bring a million souls to me, and you killed yourself, and now you killed all those people. Now I'm forced to change because I'm God. I have to force myself to go someone else, pick someone else, take the anointing that you had, give it to them, and now they got to suffer and go through something. Like, what's going on with me? It's your turn to pick up the call. So you now have to suffer the sufferings they had to. Because now I chose you. Well, why you got to choose me? Because I'm God and I said so. That's why. But it's worth it in the end. So this is what it looks like when you have time with the Holy Ghost and you speak and pray. Like, Lord, what do the people need tonight? And I gave you what he wanted you to know. So we give God glory and praise. I believe we should bless him. Thank you, Lord. So God bless you, those online. Did anybody have any thoughts, concerns, concepts, insults, anything offensive?